thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. This is hour three of the program. And just real quick, I want to mention the success of our pleasure drive last week. We achieved our goal, our need of $3 million plus about, let's see, I think we got up to 3.2 million and a little bit more than that. That's right. You tell him, Cyrus, you tell him. And I just want to say thank you. We thank God for his providence. We thank you for generosity. And the door is being held open today. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know it's open today. So if you weren't able to participate and you'd like to, just go to relevantradio.com and make your pledge or use the Relevant Radio app and make your pledge. And we can count that toward this pledge drive. So thanks again. Uh, to the phones, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Delia in Mission, Texas. Is it Delia or Delia? I think it's Delia, right? Delia, yes. Delia, welcome. Good morning, Patrick. So nice that I got to talk to you today. I really have a good question for you. Okay. Um, so tomorrow we will be having a King and Queen Valentine crowning celebration at a senior center that I attend. Mm-hmm. And they will be having a dance and so forth afterwards. And my question is, is it proper or are we allowed to dance on Ash Wednesday? The answer is yes. So it's it's not forbidden. I mean, tomorrow, Ash Wednesday, and this is true of all the Fridays during Lent and, and Good Friday, we are obliged to abstain from meat, and we're obliged to fast if you're between 18 and 59, uh, or if you've completed your 59th year. So below that age and above that age, you're not obliged to fast, but it's still recommended. But there's nothing in the church's discipline that says that you can't dance or you can't have a glass of wine or you can't do anything like that. So as far as the letter of the law is concerned, there's nothing about that that would prohibit dancing. I would, however, just offer you something to think about. And this would be more applicable to Good Friday than it would be to Ash Wednesday. But let's say that something was happening on Good Friday. I would personally try to avoid any kind of partying atmosphere, attending a party, dancing, things of that nature on Good Friday, especially just because of the nature of the day. And the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for our salvation on the cross and all the agony that he went through. So even though you're not talking about Good Friday, I'd like to springboard uh, Delia from your question about Ash Wednesday tomorrow to say when Good Friday comes, that would be an example of a day where even even though the church does not say no dancing, doesn't say that, the spirit of the law, I would say, would tend toward avoiding things like that on Good Friday. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, I was, you know, kind of, I do think that way, and I do respect Holy Week a lot, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Every day, as a matter of fact, I love your show. I've learned so much. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And to be honest, I have learned more on relevant radio than I did in those whole 12 years. And so, like, I've gotten really involved in um, in every show. And I was very concerned about this. And I thought, is it, a, is it lack of respect, you know, mm-hmm. um, starting off Lent? that way and i was like okay i had a lot of criticism and and opinions and stuff and i thought well okay i'll go to patrick he'll answer my question (laughs) well (laughs) i can tell you you with certitude there is no law prohibiting dancing on ash wednesday 
So mm-hmm. I think you're in the clear. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful you're day. Welcome. Yeah, you too, Delia. Thank you. How about Grace now in Irvine, California? Good morning, Grace. Morning, Patrick. I have a question uh, about um, a friend who has a son who goes to a Protestant school. Okay. And they have an Ash Wednesday service. What's the church, church teaching on a Catholic going to an Ash Wednesday service at a Protestant church? Well, yeah. I, I would say for a Catholic, don't go because you're Catholic, and you should go to the Catholic church if you want to go for the, the um, ashes and for, for Mass that day. Far better to go to the Catholic church. Now, if, if the person says, well, I am going to the Catholic church, I am going to get ashes, it's not a holy day of obligation, but it's the custom I want to follow it. And I'm also going to go to the service that they have at the school, like in their chapel session or something like that. If you're a student at the school and you're going to do both, that seems reasonable to me. Um, I'm not a fan of Catholics going to Protestant schools in any case, but regardless of that, there's there's nothing sinful about it. But if it were a situation where the Catholic says, well, I'm just going to go to the thing at the Protestant chapel service and I'm not going to go to my Catholic parish to receive ashes, ashes I would probably try to discourage that and say, you know, either do both or go to, if you're going to get ashes, go to the Catholic church to do that. Do you think it might be confusing to a child? What How old is the child? Uh, a grade school, maybe fourth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, yeah, would it plant a seed where, where in the future they, uh, he might have a memory that, hey, it was okay for me to go to a Protestant church for this. Maybe it would be a, okay to go for other things. Uh, it could. It could have that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. it, it depends on the child, of course, but it could have that effect. That's why I think we should do everything possible to reinforce and build up every child's Catholic identity, and anything that would erode that would not be good. It should be avoided if possible. Anything that would promote that and support that reinforcement of one's Catholic identity is a good thing. So as a general rule, if that's what we're talking about here, I would say let's do everything we can that is proper and good and helpful to reinforce Catholic identity and let's try to avoid, wherever possible, things that might erode that Catholic identity. Great. Thank you, you very you much. Think, God bless you. Okay, you got yeah, it. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I guess everything if everything counts. Yeah, I, th- I suppose, if we, let's say that we look at it um, with an eye toward health, bodily health. So if you live a life and a lifestyle that tends toward promoting your bodily health by what you eat, and exercise, and avoiding things that are bad for you, high fructose corn syrup, whatever, um, you're generally going to be a healthy person. If you live a life with some of those things there, but other things that are deleterious to your health, maybe you never exercise, or maybe you know you spend hours on end, and I don't mean you personally, Grace, but whoever it may be, you're hours on end on the couch playing video games, uh, or just a terrible diet, you're, you're generally going to be an unhealthy person. So my sense is that if we take the same approach to our, our the, the health of our faith life, the health of our spiritual well-being, the more things we do that are spiritually healthy, the healthier we are. The things that we do that would undercut that would lead to being spiritually unhealthy. So 
maybe that's an analogy that might help some people. That sounds helpful. That's a good principle to remember. Indeed. <laughs> the hard part is living that way, isn't it? Well, Amen. I appreciate the call, Grace. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. God okay, take care. Uh, we'll go now to Ray in Reno, Nevada. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Pat. Um, I have a question regarding miracles okay. and if we should report them. So if you okay. feel you were the a recipient of a miracle, Mm-hmm. And it's a priest that is still living. Should you report it? And where would you report it? Oh, okay. Do you mind if I ask what sort of miracle? That might help me answer the question. Sure. Uh, I had a, um, uh, a health issue that they thought was really bad because I waited so long. Okay. It had to do with cancer. And they warned me that the recovery time for this kind of um, surgery was one of the worst. It was worse than abdominal surgery. So I went to my priest and I said, I think I need to do, um, I need to do confession before surgery. He said, no, I think you just need to um, have laying hands of, uh, how do you say it? Laying of the hands on the sick. So we did that, and when he did that and we prayed, I felt a really warm sensation go down from my head all through my body, went and had the surgery, and not only did I not have cancer, but I had no pain in recovery. Wow. And uh, the the doctor was shocked. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Something happened, obviously, and it was unexpected because the doctors saw that you were very likely in for a really difficult time, right? Uh And that didn't happen. So something happened. The first thing that came to my mind when you described this, Ray, is my, it, it kind of took me aback that he would tell you not to go to confession before undergoing major surgery. That, that to me, is a really big red flag right there. Now, maybe, tell me if this is what he meant. Did he say, um, I will give you the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, the sacrament of holy anointing, because that does take away sin? It wouldn't preclude yes. the need to go to confession. But is that the context of when you said laying hands on you? Was he anointing you with the sacrament yes. of holy anointing? Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, if I were in that situation, I would have said, yes, absolutely, let's have you go to confession, and I will also give you this sacrament of anointing of the sick. But, okay, so since he gave you that sacrament, it may well be that God made use of this priest's ministry to bless you with a miracle of healing. It's entirely possible. And, I mean, I guess only investigation could tell whether that was an an actual miracle or not. It might have been, might not have been. It's hard to say. I don't know. But if Uh you feel um, that that you should document this or report it, as you put it, I think the proper person would be the bishop and just say, you know, I'm, I'm writing a letter just to inform you of something that seems like a blessing from God that came to me through the ministry of Father So and So. And I don't mean that you should keep Father So and So in the dark. You could write the letter to him and the bishop, for example. Mm -hmm. But that would be a way that you could document the event as you remember it. And if the bishop thought, well, let's investigate further, he would be the the competent authority to do that. 
um, you, you wouldn't okay. need to send it to the Vatican or anything like that because they would say, talk to your bishop. That's where it would really start. Okay. So if okay. there were something miraculous and if it was God's will that that would be made known, then the bishop would be your first point of contact and he would be the one who would take it from there. If it's something that was a blessing from God, <clears throat> but it wasn't intended for the edification of anyone else but yourself, then that's where it would stay. So just ask God, okay. if, it, if it was a miracle and he wants it to be known, please, Lord, make that happen. If it wasn't a miracle, I'm happy with what happened anyway. And if it was a miracle, but it was something just for me, then thank you, God. That's how I'd approach okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy for you. What a wonderful thing that you had that healing. Well, it, it was really, um, I was going into a 10-year full-time caregiver of my husband who who passed from Alzheimer's, and it was just before that, so I felt like, hmm, I guess he really wants me to take care of my husband. I left my career and everything, so okay. uh, yeah, a lot of things, yeah. Well, God bless you, Ray. I hope things are okay now. You're feeling better now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Much better. Well, so. thank you. God bless you, and I appreciate the call. I always like to talk about miracles. Um, let's go to James in Phoenix. Good morning, James. Good morning, Patrick. I have a question concerning uh, receiving ashes tomorrow for Ash Wednesday. Okay. Okay. Um, in the past, I have re received the ashes and, you know, worn them throughout the whole day. But someone a uh, year ago uh, basically, you know, made the comment of, you know, you know, after you receive ashes, uh, when you're, you know, get home, just go ahead and clean them off and go throughout your day. You don't want to be gloating. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm, I don't really consider it gloating. So my, t my question to you is, is it customary for us to wear the ashes throughout the whole day? Or, you know, should, you know, do we, you know, wash them off after, you know, service mm -hmm. and on our way to work or, you know, and just go out the rest of our day as a normal, you know, right. thing? There's, there are two distinct schools of thought on this, and I'll share what they both are, and then I'll offer you my sense of it. The first is that, as it's more customary when you receive ashes on Ash Wednesday, that you just wear it throughout the day, and it's a sign of your Christian witness. It's a, it would be something similar to wearing a lapel, a cross lapel pin, or you know some other identifiable marker that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It would be in that category. And that's a good thing. Uh, in other words, you're publicly witnessing to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the form of this sacramental, which is the ashes. Another school of thought is based upon, I don't know if I'd call it a misreading, but I think a a bit of a misreading of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is speaking in verse 16 about fasting, he says, And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. I've heard that passage invoked any number of times by people who say, no, you shouldn't wear the ashes because that's ostentatious, and you're looking for adulation, or you're looking for attention, or you're, you want people to say, oh boy, look at him, he got his ashes. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the, the right reading of this passage, personally. But I am aware that there are many people who have that view. So here's my take on this issue. You are free 
to do either. The church imposes no requirement. The church doesn't even impose a requirement of, of ashes at all. I mean, it's strongly recommended, it's encouraged, but it's not required. But if you do have the benefit of receiving ashes, you have complete freedom to follow either school of thought. You can wear them proudly and know that you're not doing anything wrong. You can wash them off so as not to draw attention to yourself, and you would not be doing anything wrong there. You have that freedom. I personally tend more toward wearing ashes all day. Um, but that not everybody looks at it that way. So that's the thing about the freedom part, is that the church doesn't say, you must do one or the other. You're free to do either. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Thank you okay. for clarifying that. I, I tend to agree with you. I just want to make sure I wasn't, you know, like I just said, drawing attention to myself, you know, and and such. But, mm-hmm. you know, on the same aspect, it's it's Ash Wednesday, and, and I'm a follower, and I believe mm-hmm. it's, it's more rightful to wear it throughout the whole day. I do, too. And, boy, if ever there were a time when we need to have that countersign, the sign of contradiction, the sign of the cross, the sign of Jesus— in the in the presence of the world, now is that time, if you ask me. So I think it's a it's a plus, not a negative, to wear your cro- your ashes um, publicly. So great, thank you very much. You're welcome, James. Thank you. And um, yes, it is Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, as they call it, and tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. So just a quick recap: tomorrow's a day of fast and abstinence. Abstinence means that you abstain from meat. So that's flesh meat, chicken, steak, pork, those kinds of things. Now, if you're more exotic and you want venison, that's also excluded. You can have fish. You're not obliged to have fish. That's a common misunderstanding that some people, I don't know where they get it from. They think that Catholics must eat fish on Fridays. You don't have to eat anything on Friday. You can eat zero if you want to. But abstaining from meat is a requirement by the Catholic Church for all Catholics on Ash Wednesday and all the Fridays of Lent, including Good Friday. Then also fasting is the rule for today. If you are below the age of 60 or above the age of 18, 18 or above and below the age of 60, you are obliged to fast. Now, fasting means that you can have and that's not today, that's, starting, that's tomorrow, Ash Wednesday, and then on Good Friday. Fasting means you can have one full meal, however you determine a full meal, what, what it would be a normal meal for you. For some people, it's not very much food. For some people, it's a bit more food. It has nothing to do with calories, has nothing to do with the weight or the amount of food. It's you, you use your discretion. What is one full meal? Then you can have more food during the day, as long as it doesn't add up to another full meal. And that's up to you to determine. The Bishop's Conference does not talk about calories or weight or ounces or anything like that. It's just, you just use your discretion, and that's the rule. So the fasting and abstinence is on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and abstinence from meat during all the Fridays during Lent. For that matter, the Church says that you should abstain from meat for all Fridays throughout the year. That's not as well known. In fact, it's largely unknown but you can substitute another penance during the Fridays throughout the year. But during Lent, you definitely are obliged to avoid meat on Fridays. Now, you, you can have fish or shrimp if you want to. You can have just veggies if you want to. You could have nothing if you want to. It's up to you. 
So that's the detail on that issue. And uh, I'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more of your phone calls. So those of you who are holding, thanks for your patience. I'll come straight back to you right after this. Taco. Grande. Taco. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. Can I get a beef taco, please? Oh, uh, we don't do that here, sir. Can I offer you our vegan gluten-free broccoli tacos with cashew cheese? Yeah. Connected to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. Cyrus, people are sending me pictures of this Ice Spice lady. Yes. And this cross. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, everybody, just and relax. She seems to be doing something with her hands, too. And so there's been some question. Are those demonic symbols? Is she flashing like devil signs? Maybe she is. I, I I am, I'm seeing it all over. I don't know. Why are people so worked up about this? I, I mean, they're now they're sending me pictures. I mean, I appreciate it, everybody, if you're sending me pictures. But Jimmy Crack Cornyn, I don't care. I mean, I pity people who are doing things like that. And yes, it's a shame if they're doing it publicly. I certainly am opposed to it. But the kids are looking up to these people. Life's too these, short. These well, are say, the these are the role models. That's sad. That's sad. It that's is. Sad. But I mean, why should we waste any of our time on that? We can say that's not right. Don't do that. Don't pay attention to that. Um, I don't mean it should go uncommented on. But for some people, it's like a huge deal. I don't think it needs to be a huge deal. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, shake it th- off. This is, <laughs> this is a note from Dennis listening in Austin. Patrick, with Ash Wednesday and Good Friday coming up and being fast days for adults from 18 to 59, do you fast since you are not required to? I just hit the age where I'm not required to fast, but I'm curious if those who aren't required still fast. Thanks, and I really love your show. Thank you, Dennis. Well, I do. Um, It's trying to fulfill the spirit of the law. I mean, I could say, well, I'm not obliged to fast, therefore I'm not going to. But, I mean, if there's some spiritual benefit on the table, I'd like to have some of that personally. So if you're asking what do I personally do, I try to do that. Um, but and, can I ask mm-hmm. what what are you what are you giving up? What are you going to fast from? Starting you mean tomorrow. for Lent? Yeah, yeah. I'm still a little undecided. Nancy and I are discussing. We're in the negotiation phase of things right now, so we'll <laughs> find out tomorrow. <laughs> so whatever Nancy decides. No, no, no oh, because okay. usually what we do is what whatever we give up. So let's say it's watching television or, you know, some other, let's say a beverage that we enjoy, like wine or something like that. Um, We typically, for our married life, have done these things together. So especially television, I mean, if you're used to seeing a movie or a TV show that you like, and then one person watches, the other one doesn't, that's not, that's cumbersome. So we're still in the negotiation phase of that, but it'll be something along those lines. Tomorrow, we'll have that nailed down. 
Uh, how about you? Have you picked out what you're giving up? Yeah, I think so. Um, I there's something I lean on every week, and it's I, it's the Patrick I, Madrid show. No, no, that's every day. But I'm not giving that up. But I I you're am, contractually obliged not to give that up. I think I'm going to give up Taco Tuesdays. Haha. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm con- contractually obligated to continue. Yeah, we have that verbal contract that governs that. Yeah, I know there's no, a couple. Of ain't no way. How are you going to give up Taco Tuesday? Come I just uh, you no. Know, we won't play the sound effects. We won't play the taco music. I won't. Uh, I won't practice my false words. No, no taco horns. <laughs> they do it in Mexico all the time. Not, not during Lent. Nope, nope. It's Negatory, I'm, good buddy. I'm say, not happening. Adios, amigos. Well, enjoy your 40 days <laughs> off the clock, out of work. All right. I'll think of something else. I'll think of something <laughs> else. I hear that uh, Costco is hiring. <laughs> right. I'll think of something else. It's, yeah. it's off the table. It's off yeah, the table. Yeah, that's off the table. That's happening whether you like it or not. And I know you like it. We um, do it in Mexico go. all the time. All the time. All the time. Uh, I have a note here about, and I know it's here somewhere. And I want to get to it real quick. Won't take long. Yeah, from a, it's from, uh, who's it from? It's from John. And he says, love the show. Patrick just mentioned that both Moses and Elijah were examples of people who died, but who were allowed to be seen by the likes of Peter, James, and John. My understanding from what it says in the Bible is that Elijah was assumed into heaven without dying, at least without dying here on earth. I assumed that Elijah's ascent into heaven occurred in a manner akin to that of Enoch, the church also teaches the same on Mary in her ascending into heaven without dying here in the flesh. What did Patrick mean when he said that Elijah was an example of someone who had died? Okay, that's that's an easy one, John. Thank you. First of all, just real quick, Our Lady did not ascend into heaven. Jesus did. She was assumed into heaven by the power of God. Her bodily assumption was something that God did for her, but Jesus ascended on his own power to the Father. It's a minor point, but it's important. Um, so the answer is that Elijah, he, you're correct, he was he was taken up into the heavens in a fiery chariot, and Elisha saw this take place, but we would refer it back to the case of Our Lady's bodily assumption. The Catholic Church teaches that Our Lady died, and at the end of her earthly life, when she died, she was then shortly thereafter bodily assumed into heaven. So even she, the Church teaches, reached the terminus point of her life, what we call death. It's also euphemistically referred to as the Dormition of Mary. Dormition is from the Latin word, which means to sleep. So that's a beautiful biblical euphemism for death, those who sleep in the Lord. So yes, in in whatever way we would like to describe it or understand it, when God translated Elijah, the prophet, from time into eternity, and he was seen to be caught up into the heavens in this fiery chariot, that was the time that he died in an earthly sense. That's the time when his body and soul separated. Now, where did his body go? We don't know. That wasn't revealed to us. Where did Our Lady's body go? It was bodily assumed into heaven. But that's what I meant when I said that Moses and Elijah were two dead people, meaning that the manner of their deaths were different, but they both concluded their earthly life in death and then pass on to the life to come. I hope that's helpful, and thank you. Uh, Let's go to Daniel now in Escondido, California. Good morning, Daniel. 
Good morning, Patrick. I had a question about those of us over age 59. Mm-hmm. Do we need to fast? I know we'll abstain from meat, mm-hmm. but the laws I read said the fasting only applies what 18 to 59 years old. I'm right. 68, so right. So you're not obliged to fast, and there would be no sin involved if you did not fast because mm-hmm. you're you're exempt from the church's law, the discipline. I think it's always a good thing if you can try to do that. Now, some people can't, given the rigors of their health or some other problem. Maybe they're not in a position to be able to fast, so you, you just use discretion. But if you chose to fast, I think the Lord would look at that as a, a meritorious thing, but you're not obliged to do so. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to a boot camp. I exercise almost every day, and they stress how important it is to eat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's say in this case, because of your age and your health, uh, you want to have some food coming in, and it may not be as minimal as what somebody who's 40 years old would be would be eating, but you're not doing anything wrong. If you said that you wanted to, even though you're not obliged to do this, you wanted to fulfill the, the spirit of the law, that's a good thing, but it's not required. That's my point. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate clarification. You're most appreciate welcome, all you do. Daniel. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. I hope the boot camp is something wonderful. Uh, let's go to Chris now in Los Angeles. Hi, Chris. Hi, Patrick. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, huh. I had a question. That I guess I don't know if the theological uh, term would be like insolment, um, but I, okay. my wife and I, over the holidays, unfortunately, experienced a pregnancy loss, and it was about six, seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went through our grieving and our processing. Thank you. And, um, you know, one of the things that I got a little jammed up on was trying to understand, you know, we got all the clinical explanations and the biological explanations from the doctors and, okay. you know, it's about all they give you. But on literally on a soul level, I was wondering, you know, what do Catholics believe about, um, you know, when insulment happens? Um, and, you know, I just looking at it to kind of help me understand that part of the loss, um, you know, we've understood all other aspects of a loss, but I think that was a little hard to find. You know, there is a sense of it's pretty strongly out there that, you know, life begins at conception. Um, but beyond that, I found like the information a little confusing and I'm not sure if it's just a mystery or um, if there is a definite point of view on that. That's a really good question. And first of all, my sincere condolences. I, Nancy and I went through one miscarriage the last of our children, our, our 12th child, died in miscarriage. And so I, my heart goes out to you and your wife. And um, I know that this pain will pass in due time, but it's painful in the meantime. So let's take up that question. So you're right. Life does begin at conception, and the Catholic Church teaches that from the very moment of conception, that's a human being. It is true that human beings at that stage of development look like a single cell, because that's all you are at that stage. And then as you get older and um, you gestate further, your body type begins to change. Eventually, you'll start looking more discernible, definable, and you you look different now than you did when you were a year old. And at a year of age, you look different than you were when you were two months in the womb kind of thing. But it was still you from the moment of conception. So let's just emphasize that point. Now... Insolment is a 
a theory that was held by many. It no longer is held by the Catholic Church, but with the advances of medical science, we now know that life begins at conception. Ensoulment was the theory that after a certain number of days, 40 days, for example, that the vegetable body that did not have a soul in it became ensouled when God created the soul and put it into that body. Um, so that's what the term ensoulment, at least in this context, refers to. But that's not what the Church teaches, so it's from the moment of conception forward. Does that answer your question? Uh, yes, it does. Um, I think that's helpful to understanding. I think we both are just kind of wondering, you know, do we have a child on and have on the other side, you know, and um, yeah. to understand it in that sense. So that is helpful because I think life and soul maybe don't get used all that interchangeably, or maybe they do. So it was a little confusing to understand that. So oh, I yeah, I understand. That. Well, the just to bring a little more clarity to it, um, ensoulment is not something that you will hear in the the modern discussion about human life because of what I said earlier about knowing now that 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 doesn't take place after the fact of uh, conception. But to answer your question maybe a little bit more pointedly, even if the child were to live for an hour um, or less, for that matter, once conception takes place, that's a human being created by God for all eternity who has an immortal soul, and if that boy or girl should die, the son or daughter should die, um, the soul, this is the question that inevitably follows, is what happens to the soul of that child? And so perhaps that's part of what you and your wife are thinking about. And the Church's teaching is that, number one, God loves this little boy or girl, this son or daughter of yours, even more than the two of you do, which is saying a lot, obviously and desires the salvation of all people. Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So God's desire is for the salvation of all people. And because these little people who die in the womb never have had an opportunity to know and love Jesus, they never had the capacity to do any of those things, the Church teaches that God provides for them in a way that has not been revealed to us. So we can have eminent hope, and we can even expect that God will provide sanctifying grace for the souls of these unborn children who die, so that they can be happy in heaven forever. Now, we can't say with certitude that this happens. The Church stops just short of that, but it does say that we should be hopeful and joyful in, in the anticipation that God will do this for these little babies. Does that make sense? Does that help a little bit? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Patrick. Okay. Well, I'm glad you called in. I'm sure there are other people who are going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing. Thank you, Chris. We're going to take a quick time out. By the way, I understand that Tom in Arizona, I think he maybe sent a note saying that giving up Taco Tuesday wouldn't be appropriate because your penance isn't supposed to impede others. And we will all miss Taco Tuesday, he says. I would concur with Tom in Arizona on this point. Cyrus, listen up. So there's the verdict. Not going to happen. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. Well, that's what I call a taco.
Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. How about some chicken fajitas? Can I do chicken fajita? No chicken fajitas either, sir. How about some crispy kale lettuce wrap? A what wrap? Crispy kale wrapped in lettuce with a side of vegan coleslaw. So it's a salad wrapped in a salad with a side of salad. Patrick Madrid is on Coast to Coast on Relevant Radio. Now that's what I call a taco. Get connected to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. Everybody loves tacos. Come on. I like tacos. I do too. I do like tacos. I grew up on tacos. What are you talking about, man? You know we what do I do in Cyrus? Mexico all the time. All the time. Cyrus, you know what I had? Believe it or not, what we ate far more often than tacos. We did eat tacos. When I was growing up, though, we had something else that was even more common than that. You I want can't to take a guess? I can't even guess. I have no <clears throat> idea. Tostadas. All right. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, so tostada is similar but different. So in the case of tacos, I mean, obviously the traditional tacos, soft tortilla, sometimes hard to, that's fine either way. Yeah, like that. Just like that. So, but we, my mom raised it to an art form. So we would have tostadas a lot. And a tostada is a corn tortilla that is deep fried. So it's rigid like a plate. And you'd slather hot refried beans over the top of that. And then on top of that, you'd put whatever you want. You'd put onions, you'd put your cheese. We never had sour cream. That wasn't a thing. At least I never saw anybody putting sour cream on that. You had me at deep fried. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Talk about a crunch. So it fits in the palm of your hand, depending on the size of the tortilla. Just like that. And you've got your good, you know hot refried beans and the onions and the cheese and some cilantro and some tomatoes and you are good to go. And I'll tell you what, that is a cheap meal. You can feed a, a big old family like ours on the cheap and it's it'll part the walls of the belly. It tastes great and you didn't spend a lot of money. So, hey, families, you're looking for an inexpensive Quasi Taco Tuesday meal, tostadas. It's the way to go. Taco Tuesday, Taco Tuesday. That's for sure. Uh, let's go to Greg now in San Diego. Hi, Greg. Oh, hi, Patrick. Morning. I just have Morning. a quick question. Okay. Morning. I have a quick question. I'm working for my boss for about twenty years now, and we're kind of like family in the office. You know, everybody's so close together. We party together. Then, but he has a daughter, and she's getting married, and they invited us. They don't believe in God, you know. They just, but mm-hmm. they are very nice people. They don't okay. believe in God or anything like that. So they're atheist folk, and I presume their daughter was raised an atheist, right? Yeah, pretty much the same. Okay, yeah, you can go with the go to the wedding, have fun, eat some wedding cake, dance a little bit, have a little red wine. Um, you can go because none of these people, the daughter anyway, is not a Catholic. Now, I, I probably shouldn't have spoken so hastily. Is the man she's marrying a Catholic? 
Uh, no, they're, they're about the same. It's just going to be a backyard party. Okay. You're free to go. You're free Ready. to enjoy, free to celebrate. You can do all that. No problem. And okay. the reason is because there's no Catholic involved. If a Catholic is involved, then you have to. they have to be married in the church. It has to be witnessed officially by a bishop, priest, or deacon, Catholic bishop, priest, or deacon, and blessed by the bishop, priest, or deacon. But when this is regarding to non-Catholic folk, um, could be atheists, could be Hindus, could be Baptists, whatever, the Church recognizes that marriage as valid, even if it's just a natural marriage, even if the parties are not baptized, it would be even still a natural marriage, and justice of the peace— captain of a cruise ship, uh, senator, vice president, what have you, you can go to those weddings and you can participate in the celebration afterward. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Good to know. So I was kind yeah. of confused. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that clears it up. It, it, it becomes different and difficult for many people once a Catholic is involved. But if there's no Catholic involved, then it's not a problem. Isn't that odd when you think of it? And the reason for it, by the way, is because as Catholics, you have rights and you have privileges. You also have obligations. And one of the obligations is to get married in the church. The church has a vested interest in every single Catholic marriage. And so also for the purposes of the marriage being sacramental in many cases, that too is an important thing. Let's go to Sandy now in Princeton. Princeton, Minnesota, that is. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, my husband and I do jail ministry, and we have an ex-pastor as an inmate, and he says that everyone's saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And use Ephesians 2.8. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked, he brought out the Bibles, and they were not Catholic Bibles. When I looked in the Catholic Bible, it does not say that. So if my question, I will probably see him on Friday. Mm-hmm. And he did write an apology because we did get in the, um, well, you know, he, he wrote an apology. And I, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, so I will see him on Friday. What can I say about that? Because I don't think, is that true? Once saved, no. always saved? No, it's not true. Yeah, they just... yeah. So those, it's a misreading of the Bible. It's It tends to be something that those who are Baptists or uh, or who have a theology that is shaped by Baptist theology tend to hold. <clears throat> Not all Protestants hold that view, but there are countless examples of warnings about losing one's salvation. So let's look, for example, at Romans chapter 11. Uh, St. Paul is talking here about the, the analogy of the Jews who were saved in the, in the form, the analogous form of an olive tree. And those who rejected Jesus and lost their salvation are like the branches from that tree that were snapped off. And in this passage, in Romans chapter 11, St. Paul is addressing himself to the Gentiles. And he says, you Gentiles, he says in verse 13, I am speaking to you Gentiles. And so these were non-Jews who, he says, are like wild olive tree branches that were grafted on to this cultivated olive tree that symbolized the salvation of the Jews. And he goes through this theological analysis of losing one's salvation in the case of the Jews, but then he says this in verse 22, See then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who fell, but God's kindness to you, provided you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So the the point here is that 
they had received salvation. That's the whole point of being grafted into this tree. The earlier branches, the Jews that rejected Jesus, they lost their salvation. Here, he's saying, you have received salvation. And then he concludes with a warning saying, you can lose your salvation. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, in verse 27, St. Paul says, No, I drive my body and train it for fear that after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he's saying, even I could lose my salvation. In the next chapter, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says, These things happen to them as an example, and they have been written down as a warning to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing secure should take care not to fall. So people who say, well, I'm definitely saved, St. Paul is saying, well, you better be careful because it could turn out that you're not saved. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 2, now it is, of course, required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. It does not concern me in the least that I be judged by you or any human tribunal. And Listen to what he says. I do not even pass judgment on myself. I am not conscious of anything against me but I do not thereby stand acquitted, for the one who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, do not make any judgment before the appointed time until the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and what will manifest the motives of our hearts, and then everyone will receive praise from God, obviously referring to those who are going to be saved. So there are, what, four, four verses among the many I could mention that just just in the, in the epistle to... Uh, the Corinthians, the first epistle to the Corinthians, it, it talks about the the ways that you can lose your salvation, not to mention Romans chapter 11. I'll leave you with one other one here, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. St. Paul says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. What? How can you be severed from Christ if you weren't saved? So ask your friend this. If you're saved, and there's, you know, one saved, always saved, what on earth is he talking about here? He's speaking to Christians, and he's saying, you have been severed. That means cut off. You can't be cut off from something if you were never joined to it in the first place. You can't fall away from grace if you never were in grace in the first place. So clearly, Galatians 5.4 is speaking about Christians who were saved, born again, believing Christians, they fell away from grace, and they were cut off from Jesus. So, I mean, these are just, what is that, maybe five or six verses, all of which you can share. And there are many more besides. So I would suggest uh, start with those. Um, Catholic Answers has got good resources by way of tracts and things like that. You can go to catholic.com and check that out. Thank you. Uh, let's see if we can get to, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's go to... Uh, Eleanor in Carson, California. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning, Patrick. You're talking about parties on Valentine's Day, and it made me have a question. Okay. Can you have a party on Holy Saturday? I, My sister wants to have a party on Holy Saturday, and I tend to think that's wrong. But- well, it's yeah, I understand where you're coming from, and my answer would be the same in this case. You could, You can, yes. You can. The church, yes, the Church does not forbid it. The Church does not say, sorry, no parties today. What the church does say is that we should try as much as we can, as best we can, to enter into the spirit of what's happening. So during the Triduum, 
Holy Thursday through the vigil on Holy Saturday evening leading up to Easter Sunday, we're commemorating the death of Jesus. Now, on Easter Sunday, of course, we commemorate his resurrection. So the spirit of the Triduum, that three-day period, is to commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So I would argue it's not really appropriate to have a party because it's it's detached from remembering what happened. I mean, that should be foremost in our mind, shouldn't it? That we I should agree. Be, I, yeah. I totally agree. No, I know you do. I know. I'm, I guess I'm sort of saying how I might say it to your sister mm-hmm. or yeah. to whoever. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Um, but even so, if she were to say, well, whatever, I'm going to have a party anyway, she wouldn't be committing a sin. I think she would be missing out on an opportunity to have a a closer relationship with the Lord by commemorating his death, but she's not committing a sin thereby. Yeah, because my daughters told me, oh, Auntie's playing in this party, you know, and I said, okay, well, I won't be there. <laughs> they went, what? And yeah. I said, no, that's that's a very holy day. How can mm-hmm. you be there? We're supposed to be in church. I will be in church. <laughs> so, okay. I hear you. Well, Thanks, Eleanor. I'm, Yeah, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, but don't don't judge her. I mean, she's not committing a sin by doing that. Maybe she's missing an opportunity. Thank you. Uh, and you could you could uh, maybe use this as an opportunity to help her see there's something deeper there. Thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, Shonda in Maine. Good morning, Shonda. Good morning. I have a question, uh, of course. When I was in RCIA, I was told that the ashes we receive on Ash Wednesday are ashes from the Blessed Palms that are from Palm Sunday. Is this That's true? true. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was easy. I thought there might be more to it, but yeah, that's that's right. Um, the right. palms that we Great. receive from Palm Sunday are then by then they're dried out and crispy, so those are what are are burned to make the ashes for the next Ash Wednesday. Thank you, Shonda, and uh, early happy good. Uh, um, I'm sorry, a good Ash Wednesday to you. I think we have time, Joe. Ma'am, I, I take it back. We don't. I apologize, Joe. I thought we had more time than we Man's did. Man's got to know his limitations. Ain't it the truth? I thought we'd have time, but not going to do it. The Wouldn't clock be says at this juncture. Yeah, exactly what that guy said. So I tell you what, though, we will be doing this again tomorrow, St. Pat time, St. Pat channel, and all you have to do is to give us a call at uh, the same number next. Now that would be tomorrow, Ash Wednesday. And remember, once again, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, days of fasting, if you're between 18 and 60. So if you're under 60 and you're 18 or over, fasting and meat, no meat. So that applies to everybody. No meat, no hamburgers, no street tacos with carne asada. Fish tacos, yes. Carne asada tacos, no. And all Fridays during Lent, no meat. Got it? Get it? Good. Okay, we're going to take a break for 21 hours. We'll be right back right after that.